0: Good morning C4 Church. So glad to be back with you and uh, good morning to many of you watching and listening online still on vacation. If you're serving this morning, we as a church want to thank you for serving uh, this morning. Let's give them a hand so they can know that online today, which is great. Thanks so much. I also just want to say at the end of the service, Angie is going to lead us in a prayer, but Steph, we want to thank you for your leadership in our church. As Steph is leaving uh, in the next few days to California, so we're really pleased with that. And uh, if you don't know, Angie's going to tell us a little bit more. She's on her way to California in the north, so it's not as nice as the south. So anyway, but anyway, we just want to thank you for what you've done. Welcome again to our series called We uh, the People. And if you've got a Bible this morning, I'd love you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Actually, the passage Pastor Dave was speaking out of uh, two weeks ago, and we're going to get into the second half. You know, every generation, when you get to speak uh, to them, talk about how fashions and haircuts change. Hair is up, hair is down. Hair is long, hair is short. It's mohawks and faux hawks. I'm very disappointed that in this culture, I'm starting to see things again from my childhood that I thought would never, ever come back. Now, I want to say, if I ever see a rat tail ever again, I'm leaving this country um i i just there, there are things but mullets i'm seeing mullets again i just don't even know what to say about that but if you have a mullet, we love you, sort of. Um, but every generation, you know what I'm talking about. Every generation, or these days, every six weeks, there's a new move uh, in fashion. It, when I was in grade six, it was the second rebirth of Converse, which are back sort of again. And then it was acid wash jeans. Does anyone remember acid wash jeans? And then it was Randy River for us, for that generation. Some of us remember that. And uh, then the the, um, nirvana was sort of the center of our universe and Pearl Jam, at least in our culture, and so what did we do? Well, we ripped all our jeans. My parents kept saying, we'll rip your jeans for 80 bucks. We can do this. They weren't cool enough, no. Uh, And and on and on it goes. You know exactly what I'm saying. I remember in grade nine, I I, I was showing up, and this guy named Colin, who was the coolest guy in our whole grade, came up, and he had vanilla ice hair. He actually had it perfectly up and around, and he was wearing, no word of a lie, I'll never forget this, he was actually wearing the MC Hammer parachute pants, (laughs) in emerald green, and we were just in awe for about a week and a half uh, of, of him. You, you know, though, in every generation, things come and go. Turn to your neighbor now, right now, whether you know them or not. You do this online on the go train. Turn to a stranger and tell them the best thing you wanted and could not have in fashion or in a haircut when you were younger. And if you're younger, it's right now. Okay, do that right now. Go ahead. Quick, quick. Best one. All right. Now, what's amazing right now is, A, how intense you all are about this. Second of all, someone in their 80s is talking to someone who's 21, and he's saying what he wanted, and you're like, I'm wearing that right now. Uh, <laughs> see, you know this. If you keep your clothes long enough, they become retro chic. So, just keep your clothes, and then your kids will love you when you're like 80. Anyway, that comes and goes. It's personal preference. It moves on. It's not lasting. And though it's fine, and though it's personal expression, and all of that. See, what we've been talking about this whole summer is something way more significant than this. Way more significant than, well, that used to be. We put clothes on and we take them off. We lose hair, we gain hair willingly or not. But what we're talking about this summer is foundational to you, no matter what you wear or what you look like, or no matter who you are, or no matter how old you are. See, the reason why we're spending this whole summer in this series called the We the People is because we want this church to have a clear understanding of who we are in Christ, our identity rooted in another person who has changed our lives. And see, so much of the world bases their identity in things that are fleeting like haircuts and fashion, and we're saying here today, no, there is something deeper, more significant, more profound than any of that. And no matter whether we can even afford those things or not, we have something better. See, this is all about identity. This is all about grounding. This is all about where we live from, how we think about ourselves, how we think about other people. This is how we have joy when life isn't nice. This is how we live a victorious Christian life in a world that gets more and more hostile to our message. It's rooted in our identity, and our identity is rooted in someone else. Now what I'm going to preach on today, another aspect of our identity. last week, Joanna did a great job preaching on that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The week before, Dave preached strongly that we are baptized, and we saw 10 people get baptized. I was watching it online. I was so excited. But what I'm about to preach on today will be deeply offensive to some of you. And even some of you who have been long-term Christians will cringe or step back and call this extreme. If, if you have not truly embraced the truth that you are beloved of God. If you as a Christian here this morning have not truly believed in your heart of hearts that you are beloved. As the Father loved Jesus, so Jesus loves you. Have you thought about that? Let me say that again. As the Father loved Jesus, so Jesus loves you. Theologians say that we, when we accept Christ, are embraced into the love of the Trinity. But if you do not believe you are beloved if you do not truly believe, like Jillian said as she was dedicating those twins, that actually we were knit in our mother's wombs by the hands of God, if you do not believe that God looks upon you because of Christ, as loved, then this next part of your identity, you will resist it with everything you have, because it will go against everything you've been taught. But if you know that Jesus is trustworthy, and if you know that you are loved, because he is love, then this part of your identity you will run to and never fight against. A few years ago, I preached into this passage, and I'm going to do it again. Romans chapter 6. See, in Romans chapter 6, Paul says multiple things, but the main thing he says is this, you are a slave to Jesus. You are a slave to Jesus. By the way, like I said a few years ago, you're sitting beside a slave right now. Whether you're in a plane, train, automobile, or sitting here, you are beside a slave. We're all slaves to something or someone. Some of you, it's jobs. Some of you, it's possessions. Some of you call it the great sexual adventure. Some of you, it's busyness, achievement, education, the temporal parts of life. Beyond all that, some of you are slaves to other people. You are slaves to other relationships. You are slaves to the perception of what people think about you. You can become a slave to a person, a slave to a family, a slave to a friend, because you actually believe in your heart of hearts that that other person or that other opinion will fulfill you at your deepest core. By the way, you know that you're a slave when you obey something. What you do proves who you're enslaved to yet the truth is many of us are not enslaved to all those other things many of us are actually enslaved to ourselves in greek mythology there's the famous story of narcissus narcissus who came along to a stream and looked at his reflection in the stream and he was so enamored, he actually fell in love with his own reflection, so deeply passionate was he. He was an artist extraordinaire. And so what did he do? He get? He, he bent down and he went to kiss his own reflection. And as his lips touched the stream, of course, what happened? The picture dissipated. He was so heartbroken that his own own face His own love, his beloved, would be disturbed by his lips. He never touched the stream again, but he spent his life watching his own reflection. And as the Greek mythology goes, he died of thirst because he would never drink from the stream. Narcissists serve themselves. Even when they appear to be serving other people and appear selfless, they're not. They're relentlessly, with all their emotional energy, trying to take people's time and attention and admiration and devotion. They need to know that they are loved by all the others. But this, like all other forms of slavery, just leads to greater emptiness. We all serve something, it's just a matter of what. And Paul begins, we're actually halfway through one of his conversations, addresses this very issue And how important it is if we are going to become a church that really believes what the Bible declares over us, in us, and through us. Paul, when he gets to the issue of slavery, not just as metaphor, but actually as identity, starts this way in Romans 6.15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Paul begins by dealing with the possibility of us going off the deep end. With the good news of what Jesus has done, is doing, what he's offering, and what he, he will do. I think Dave referred to this a few weeks ago. Romans 6, 1 starts like this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? See, Paul, like I addressed even three weeks ago, is dealing with his critics that started saying, Well, Paul, if it's really all just Jesus and we get saved by Jesus, and he's the one who does everything, then I can be holy out of one side of my mouth, and I can sin out the other side, and I can say, well, don't worry. I'm covered. I've got my fire insurance. What's a little sin going to do? I mean, I'm covered by God's grace. He elected me. He loves me. I know it's wrong, but I'm a child of God. I know my identity. He'll forgive me. I am under grace. Paul will respond very strongly against any form of being okay with sin and using God as some divine credit card. Remember Paul had a crystal clear understanding of what sin was and is it is never to be touched it is never to be embraced it is never to be loved or played with kissed or gone to bed with our lives are not to be marked with the mentality as Christians of how close we can get to the fire without getting burned scripture is clear about sin clearer than any other document ever produced in history sin is devastating Sin is debilitating. Sin is degenerating. Sin is corrupting. It is like pollution. It is like acid. It is smog to the soul. The Bible says that sin is an impure thing. It's like venom. It is rebellious. It is willful ignorance of God and his will. It is actually taking God's word and throwing it on the ground and trampling on it because we actually believe we know better. Sin is ungrateful. Sin will never declare that God is God and we are not. It will never say that God is actually the good giver of gifts. We as sinful people will indulge in God and His creation, but not through our word and deed will we be thankful, let alone give Him credit. If you read Romans 1-5 through carefully, it says that sin is overpowering, it dominates every human's thinking, it deals with our affections, it owns our will. Sin actually is called our master. And alongside with Satan, we are enslaved to them. We are owned. No matter what you have heard in college or university, what you heard in your family growing up, here is the truth of the human family. Religious or not, educated or not, wealthy or not, we are all owned and we are not free from sin, death or Satan. We are slaves to them. That is the declaration that God says over our whole world. Sin is incurable. There's nothing within ourselves that can break its power. Sin promises life. It promises satisfaction. It only brings misery. It brings frustration, hopelessness, death. Sin alienates and sin separates. And in the long term, if it is not dealt with by another, it leads to eternal death. As one wrote, sin is terrible. It is life-wrecking, soul-damning reality that resides and actually grows in each unredeemed human heart like an incurable cancer. Even when people try to escape from sin, they can't because it's in them. And you can't only escape from that. You can't escape from guilt. But see, that's when the good news comes in. Where God, the greatest gift this person wrote, that God could give a human condition like ours, a fallen humanity, is that he'd come and with Jesus to deal with us. So shall we go on sinning so grace can increase? Do we get to use God like a divine credit card now we've experienced Him? Paul says, by no means. No, no, no again, a thousand times no. God not only justifies us and not only adopts us and not only loves us and not only makes us holy and not only redeems us, He transforms us. Simply put, Here's a tweetable moment. Freedom for a Christian is not freedom to sin, but freedom from sin. Freedom for a Christian is not freedom to sin more, but it's freedom from sin. And at this moment, Paul then does it. He chooses to use slavery language which of course would get every single person's attention reading this for the first time because he's writing to the church in Rome. Rome is the heartbeat. It is the experience par excellence when it comes to slavery. In this time, one-third to half of Rome, the actual city of Rome, were slaves. Politicians debated in their time whether slaves should actually wear a different form of clothing so one could distinguish between slave and non-slave but decided against the idea because there were so many slaves they were concerned that they would know their numbers and rise up against their masters. There were two types of slaves in Rome. The newer form at that time was slash and burn. You go to another country, you pillage it, rape, kill, burn the village down, kill off relatives, and then you bring slaves back to the auction block and and say you are not only owned, but there is no reason to escape because we've killed off everything you love. The older form of slavery in Rome was more common. It was voluntary slavery where someone who was poor would realize that if they did not get a place to eat and sleep, they would die. So you could actually voluntarily offer yourself as a slave, and you would survive, and that's how you did it. With those two burning images in Paul's mind, knowing the context of the Christians he's writing to, then he says these words. Verse 16, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as an obedient slave, you are a slave to the one you obey? Offer yourselves, there it is, a willing slavery. And it's the ongoing, by the way, presenting of yourself to someone. See, there's two hallmarks, again, to slavery. Write them down. Ownership and obedience. Ownership and obedience. And never forget, when people are hearing this for the first time, some of the people in the church own slaves, other people are voluntary slaves, other people actually are the other type of slaves, and they've all met Jesus they their meeting. And Paul says... Actually, don't you all know that you're all slaves? This definitely would have got the conversation going. And the truth is this. Who you obey is who you're enslaved to. Now, as Christians... We're owned by Jesus. We're slaves to Jesus. But we still have two choices. We can walk in the new given life or dabble with the old master. Over time, you will actually know who you truly love and serve. As Matthew Henry wrote so long ago, if we, would which, if we want to know of which of these two families we belong, we must inquire to which of these two masters we yield our obedience. He says, don't you know that when you offered yourself to someone as an obedient slave... You're a slave of the one you obey, whether you're a slave to sin, which leads to death, or a slave to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, I want you to do this for a moment. I want you to say out loud that you are a slave. Say it. I am a slave. Probably didn't expect to say that at church this morning. You're a slave right now. Whether you're a Christian or not, Paul has just said everyone is a slave. And by the way, this is not just a legal thing. This is an experiential thing. There's no possibility, you see here, of neutrality. There is no no no-man's land, no fence, no co-ownership. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to Jesus. Friendship, alienation, life, death. Paul offends our modern notion in the West of freedom and rights. Because he declares that we are all slaves to sin at one point in our life at least, and that results in death. And yet, what's so amazing, and you have experienced this, and so have I and all of our relatives, is this the majority of us who actually think think about this, the majority of us that think that we are free are not. Most people declare that they are the masters of their own universe, they own their own destiny. John Calvin used to say, let me paraphrase it this way, he used to say these words, you will know when someone is in greater bondage, when they start yelling how free they are in their sin. I have the right to do this. This is who I am. I am free. And as they're doing it, they're covered in chains. The modern idea of freedom, that there is autonomous self-direction, does not exist in the universe. No wonder the Bible calls us blind and dead to the things of God and God himself. If you read Romans 1 through 6, it says that we are under sin and it leads to death. And death happens in three ways. Death happens relationally between us and God and, of course, others. Death happens physically. It's a 100% guarantee all of us are going to die in this room. And, if not dealt with by Jesus, it actually declares in the scriptures, we will have eternal death where we are separated by God forever. But then there's those owned by Jesus, those that are slaves now to obedience that brings righteousness. And Paul is not just saying to Christians, we ought to be slaves of righteousness. No, no, you are one. This is the grand paradox which the world does not get and many Christians resist against. Freedom is actually found in slavery to Jesus. If you don't want to be in power, under the power of sin, if you don't want to be a slave to sin and the devil, then you have to be a slave to Jesus. But you still get owned in either way. This idea that we believed in the garden, that we will be like God, has always been a lie. We were made to serve someone else. And so we see here, Paul says, either you will be a slave to sin, whether you're deeply religious or not, or you will be a slave to Jesus, but you will always be owned. So just admit the fact that your identity will always be partly slave-bound. We are owned by Jesus. Now some of you are saying here this morning, I don't like this. You're saying that's not fair. I didn't get my turn to sin when I was younger or this is boring or constraining or God doesn't want me to be happy or holiness, you know, is... No, no, no. See, you were made and I was made to be holy. As one, was, see, was one wrote or requoted uh, C.S. Lewis so long ago, how little people know when they think holiness is dull. When you meet the real thing, it is irresistible. Paul says, we're all slaves to something. But then he says, but thanks be to God, verse 17, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching, which has now claimed your allegiance. Do you notice that Paul does not praise their intellect? Doesn't praise their spirituality, their church going, their Bible reading. He says, but thank God, God showed up and bought us back. To what Jesus said in John six forty four, No one will come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up on the last day. See, Paul says to any Christian sitting here this morning, whether you became a Christian during worship this morning, or a week ago, or months ago, or years ago, or decades ago, you all used to be slaves to sin. But that ongoing reality of slavery has now been broken in you. And God has moved in and given us the ability to see Him, comprehend Him. God has given us faith to know Him. And now we can obey with our heart. Now do you notice it's interesting he says here, right here, that not only are we slaves to Jesus, but actually he talks about the Word of God in verse 17. See, what Paul is actually saying is not only slaves to Jesus, but we are under God's word. Now, I want to make this very clear. It says in Scripture, our life looks like this. It's not like this. It's not like this. It's like this. We are owned by Jesus, and we are under the weight and authority of his word. Our slavery is connected to his living word. And see, that's why Paul says the word pattern in verse 17. The heart, the pattern of teaching. See, pattern is that idea where you get molten metal, and you pour it into a mold, and you're being patterned into something. And what Paul is saying is because you are a slave to Jesus and because you are under his word, you are now being patterned like Jesus, and you are no longer being patterned under your old master. As one wrote, believers do not choose whether they'll serve Christ as Lord or obey the Bible's teaching. God has already given us over to Jesus in his word. Do you live your life that way? Is that your worldview, that God the Father decided to give you to his Son and under his word? See, Paul says in verse 18, you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Amen moment. No, really You have been set free from sin. Sin is no longer your master if you actually are a Christian here today. In Eden, Adam and Eve had choice. In Eden, they lost choice. But when Jesus shows back up, he gives us choice again. We are free from sin. You don't believe this. You sitting here today, if you are a Christian, you are free from sin. See, what you've been taught about freedom probably is wrong. You say, well, John, there's no way I'm free from sin. Like, look look at my life. Either I am not a Christian or I'm the worst Christian on earth or I think I'm so good I know I'm bad, right? I'm a terrible one. But here's the point. Before you had Jesus move into your life, you had no choice but to sin because you were owned by sin. But now you're owned by Jesus and he's given you his Holy Spirit. You don't have to sin again. You don't have to envy. You don't need to be prideful or vain. You don't need to be rebellious. You do not need to be lustful. A liar, a cheat. You don't need to steal anymore. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. Trust me. The Gaither sing it right. Glory's coming. I get that. But understand that if you live your life as a Christian believing that sin has more power than Jesus, then you will act like you're owned by sin. The problem is most of us, right when we're about to sin, don't stop and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to not sin. We are no longer owned by sin. We are owned by Jesus. Say this with me. We're going to do this today. I am not owned by sin. They said it louder than you. You have a spiritual problem over here? I don't know what's going on. The online audience said it louder than you all. I don't know. Sin is no longer your master. Do you see how this affects your identity? If you live your whole life, well, I just, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. Jesus is in you. Jesus is in you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. And so sin no longer owns us and nor does Satan. But that only happens if we embrace slavery to someone else. He says, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, he's talking before you met Christ, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. This is the all-powerful call to commitment, church. It is the call to slavery. When I first preached this, I actually called it profound slavery. This is the call to live our lives in righteousness, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and over time, as you sow through His power more holiness, it will become pattern in you, and you will be producing more holy action. Paul says to us, we are already holy positionally. We talked about this the series. And now let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling in the power of the Holy Spirit, because we have now offered ourselves to, slave, to be slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. He says, when you used to be slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. When you weren't a Christian, you had no connection with God and His will and His righteousness. It made no demands on you because you, you didn't know Him or had no ability to meet Him. You were deaf and unable to hear Him. We were dead and capable of being in relationship with Him. And the reality is seen all over the place. The world prides itself in the so-called freedom. But really, actually, they miss being human in its fully extent, full extent because we were made to worship another. Let me put it this way. If you're not a slave to Jesus, then you're left with you. And you're left with you, then you're enslaved to you and all the stuff you love or hate. That's why Paul brought this needed reality check. This is like when I was driving here to church today along the lake, and the police had set up one of those um, things telling you how fast you're going just to jog your attention. So I was driving along, and suddenly it was doing this, right? Not that bad. It was Okay. And I realized that I was going a little too fast, so I slowed down. So I started slowing down, and it still kept flashing. I almost made it. And then three seconds later, I found myself speeding back up. And then stopped myself and said, Oh. You see, that's how so many of us deal with each sermon each week and live our Christian life. We get the warning. We're being told some amazing truth about who we are, and we slow down, we observe it, we think about it, and then we move. No, no more moving on. This is what God sent his son to die for. That we would have a new identity that would shine like lights in a dark world. And so he says, you used to be this and you are now that. He says, no more of that. You've been set free from sin and actually have become slaves of God in verse 22. And the benefit you read leads to holiness, results in eternal life. In verse 21, sorry, I skipped it. What benefit did you reap from those things that you're ashamed of? Those things result in death. Christian, don't go back. Don't go back to the garbage and the crap you've been saved from because that's exactly what it is. Not one Christian sitting in this room or online needs to feel guilt anymore about what we've done because it's been covered. But shame is different. This year I've had the privilege of uh, being in uh, multiple connect groups and one of them is a, a group of young adults who are considering... Uh, full-time ministry, theologians, pastors, social justice, chaplains, trying to work out if they're called into this crazy thing that I get to do. And it was uh, interesting. We had a moment where we all shared our story of how we became Christians and what books influenced us, what people. and It was at one moment one was sharing and he stopped. It wasn't an odd stop, it was just unexpected. And he put his hands on his face. And I looked up, I was listening, and I said, are you okay? And he just gritted his face and he said, oh, I'm so ashamed of what I did to Jesus when I didn't love him. See, that's what Paul is talking about. Don't ever go back to the old master. It's much, much, much too heavy for you to bear. You've been set free from sin. You've become slaves to God, and and the benefit you read leads to holiness in this life and results in eternal life. You're free from sin. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You no longer are helpless. You can say no to sin because of the ownership. It has been removed, and the Spirit of God now lives in you. And the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in every single Christian, every single person on earth. As one person wrote, sin is usually a result of someone trying to fill a legitimate, God-given need in an illegitimate way. Don't go back and be illegitimate anymore. We are legitimate people of the king. Do not go and fill your cup with dirty water. He says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He roots all of this back so we know that we did not do this. We have to walk in this, but we did not do this. That's why he said in Ephesians 2, it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by work so no one can boast. See, we have been saved. Jesus is the only way to get out of sin. He's the only one into right relationship. He's the one that moves us from slavery called estrangement to friendship, from bondage to freedom, from eternal death to eternal life. Jesus is the legitimate owner of us. Paul, dealing with a group of Christians that could go sideways theologically, gives us such an unbelievably rich understanding of who we are in him that is Jesus if you want to see a victorious christian life if we continually want to pray and ask for personal renewal in each life and a corporate revival and a genuine awakening that shakes Durham in a way it has not seen since its foundation Then walk in what God has already done. Whereas Nouwen says, just accept that you're already beloved. You are in Christ. You're not in yourself. You're not in your family as the primary source of your identity. You are not in your history. You are not in what you do or what you own or what you want to do or have not done. You are in Christ. That is the foundation that sums up everything we've preached on this whole summer. And when we be begin to believe in our core, that we are in Christ, then we will move in power, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord." Or later he'll write in Romans 8, "Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus." Or in Romans 8:37, "No." in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are in Christ. If you spend your life trying to be in anyone else, you will become unrooted. This is the foundation for us. We are in Christ. Here's the second truth that we hear this day. Oh, Christian, embrace it. And listen, as the band comes up, I'm going to say this to all of you too, so keep listening. You are no longer slaves to sin. Sin has been overcome in you. The Spirit of God is in you. Yes, we will struggle. Yes, we will fail. But we are not owned by sin any longer. Oh, how some of you need these freeing words this morning to hear the truth that you are no longer owned by sin. You live your life like you are, but you need to embrace the truth because it was never about you. It was about Jesus and what he's done in you. You are in Christ, sin does not own you, and if you call upon the power of God and submit yourself to the word of God and community when you're about to sin, you do not need to sin. Freedom, but here's the last one. When you know that you are the beloved of God, that you are included in Jesus, just like Jesus is loved by the Father himself. And when you know that sin no longer has a noose around your neck, it does not own your mouth, it is not in your eyes, it does not control your ears, it does not control your hands or where feet where you go. Listen, when you know this and you start living out of this, you willingly will say to Jesus, I am your slave. No one else Christian, embrace this this morning. Hear this, accept this, wrestle with this. You already are a slave to Jesus. You are not your own. You never were your own. You've been bought with a high price. And obedience is the key to liberation. True freedom comes from slavery. Irenaeus wrote, the glory of God is a man fully alive. And how is a man fully alive? When he submits himself to Jesus. Jesus. C.K. Chesterton wrote, obedience is the other side of the creative will. Obedience actually looses the creative power of God in our lives. God will do greater things and more wondrous things in and through the life of an obedient soul. We must know who Jesus is. We must know what he's done. But here is the truth. We need to stop resisting Jesus like we own our life. Ange prayed it right. You don't own your kids, and I don't either. You don't own your money, you don't own your life, you don't own your dreams, you don't own your house, you don't own your RSPs, you don't own your retirement. We are owned by someone else. The world says that is the most offensive, dangerous thing, and they're right if Jesus was not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Revival has its roots as a real, legitimate experience when a church decides that slavery is the only thing that matters. And we start our day every day in the shower by saying these words, I, Lord Jesus, am your slave. What would you have me do? What would you want me to give up? What relationship would you want me to mend? What person should I forgive? What money do you want me to give away? What would you will of me? Because the only thing that lasts is your kingdom and your will. Everything else, like fashion, is gone in eternity. The church rises up, whether it's Baptist or Presbyterian or Anglican or AGC or Pentecostal or Independent, when churches get to the root where they say, oh, Jesus, Jesus, you've done so much for me. How I want to be your slave. How I trust you because I know that you are good and your love endures forever. I leave you with these parting words this morning out of the very words of our master's mouth. And he says them to a congregation in a world that is so tired of being in slavery to everything that brings no freedom. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, for church, take the yoke of Jesus. Don't throw it off. At this moment, if the Spirit of God has convicted you of anything, has placed any image in your mind of what you're supposed to do or what you're supposed to give up, oh, obey, for we need your obedience to see this revival continue. Come with open hands, open hearts, and say, Jesus, I am not just a slave in some conceptual idea. No, I am a slave. My identity is here more than my business, more than my parenting, more than my friendships, more than my money, more than my education. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. Would your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in the name of the Father who called us and placed us under Jesus and his word. Jesus the Son who died for us and loves us eternally and it calls us beloved And the Holy Spirit who allows us to live a life more and more like Jesus church, embrace this. Stand now and sing back to the one that we love and has loved us first. Amen and amen.